Well, good morning. We're going to continue our study on cross words. So words that Jesus said at the cross. This morning, Jesus asked a question, and I wonder if you've ever asked a question that you kind of already knew the answer to. My guess is the answer is yes. We ask our kids all the time, well, why did you do that? We got a pretty good reason, right? We got a pretty good understanding because we were kids once too, and we know why they did whatever it is we're asking them to do. Brother Kyle's a lawyer. They tell you the first thing they tell lawyers, or at least this is what I've heard. I was going to ask Kyle before I used him, but the first thing they tell you is never ask somebody on the witness stand a question you don't already know the answer to. Because if they give you an answer that you're not expecting, then that could blow your whole case in front of a jury or whatever. Well, Jesus asks a question on the cross. And it starts off with some words that we wouldn't understand. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. One, one author writes, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And those two words are just phonetically different ways of spelling the same thing, which is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we know that because both authors translated exactly the same way. So when we look at the verse in Mark, it says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Are those words moving? Yeah. Eloi, Eloi, <laughs> lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he called Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Again, similar, uh, very similar passage in Matthew, except it says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. So when I was assigned this, I, I started thinking a lot of different going off in a lot of different tangents. And the first thing I, I said is, hey, I need to understand what this word forsaken means, right? Because it's right in the middle of this, and it's kind of interesting. The, the question is interesting. Why hast thou forsaken me? So let's look at that definition just for a moment. It comes from that Greek word, enkatalapu, in, in I think would be the way we would say that. And it means to leave behind in some place, that is, let remain over or to desert. Synonyms would be words like abandoned, deserted, or leave, or left behind. So have you ever felt that way? The way that would manifest itself in our lives today would be, um, let's see, how about a brother or sister goes off to college maybe. You're really, really close with your brother or sister, and all of a sudden they go off to college and you're left behind with mom and dad. Maybe you might feel abandoned in that. What about what's going on at the border? Moms and dads, grandmas and granddads kissing their little babies goodbye and sending them to America. Both the child and the mom, dad, or grandparent feel abandoned, I would imagine, in that case. A deep hurt of the despair and the separation that they're going to have. We know, we know that divorce brings that feeling on. Or the death of a parent 
very much like immigration. If a parent dies while the children are still young, the child can grow up and feel like they've been abandoned. Well, Jesus is feeling that feeling on the cross. He's gone through a tremendous, tremendous amount of suffering. And he feels that. Sometimes we feel that by God, right? King David did. In fact, the very words that Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is Psalms 22. David wrote it. Jesus is quoting scripture as he's sitting there on the cross. And David, after being pursued by a king that wanted to kill him and having family problems and everything, just in his despair said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David felt it. We know that Job felt it. We'll talk, so right here it says in Psalms 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He goes on to say in other scripture, why are you so far from saving me, Lord? Why are you so far from my groanings? Why do I cry out to you? but you do not answer. So David had some pretty deep feelings about trying to understand where God was in his life. Job, the same thing. He questioned God pretty much through the whole book of Job. He questions a lot of things, but at some point he questions God. In two months, we'll celebrate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. 20 years since the towers fell. I know on that day in 2001 where I was, people were asking those kinds of questions. Where's God in all of this? How could he let something like this happen? They were questioning God that day. So I want us to, I want us to go back now to this scene and I want us to kind of understand what's happened. We've heard this story as Christians, uh, I won't say a million times, but a bunch. But we're at the scene, right? We're at Golgotha, the place of the skull. Back in the 80s, maybe early 90s, when I was in construction, here in the state of Texas, there was a court order that we had to increase the, the um, heating and ventilation, which is my business in prisons. And so my company did 12 different prisons across the state of Texas. One of those prisons is in downtown Huntsville. It's called the Walls Unit. It's made of big red brick walls. It's in downtown Huntsville, and it's where the death chamber is. It's where when the state of Texas says you no longer deserve to be alive because of the crimes that you've committed, you're marched into that chamber and put to death. That's what Golgotha was. Golgotha was a place where men went to die for their crimes. And that's where our Lord is on this day. It's about the ninth hour. The, he's quoting Psalms 22, which is a story about a righteous man that experienced suffering by even evil men. It's, it starts at noon, and he's on the cross for over three hours. It's dark. Darkness is over the whole land. And this is where it all comes to a pinnacle for our Savior when he utters these words. So I want us to understand his suffering a little bit because he suffered in at least three different ways that I can fathom. Number one, he suffered emotionally. 
he, his, his entire uh, reputation. And I know in the overall scheme of things, these may seem small, but just recognize that they build up. A lot of us, our reputation is important. I've got a little app on my phone where I can check my credit score. And it dings me every time it moves three or four points, and I go on there and I check it because my credit score and my reputation is important to me. And I want to know if anybody's messing around in there trying to ruin my reputation. Jesus had a reputation too. His reputation was important to him. He's rejected by his own leaders in his own party, his own religion. Falsely accused, his reputation ruined. He's rejected by the government. The tongue twister of the pilot pivot point, right? Where Pilate says, I don't find anything wrong with this man. Washes his hands but says, see you to it. Go, go crucify him. He's rejected by the government that was, should have been there to protect him. He's rejected by his own people. Matthew 27 and 43 says he trusted God, so let him save him now. If God really wants him, he himself said, I am the Son of God. Prophesied in that same chapter in Psalms 22 and fulfilled here on the cross as Jesus is being mocked and ridiculed by his own people. The same people that said that, that put the palm leaves, some of the same people that put the palm leaves as he rode in on the little donkey are now hollering, crucify him, crucify him. So he suffered some emotional trauma. We're all very much aware of the physical trauma. You know, he was spit on. Now, had that happened in grade school, there ain't a man here that wouldn't have gotten a fight, right? Somebody walks up to you and, and spits in your face. It's small, it's little, but it all is part of an emotional trauma that Jesus is going through that day. None of us would want that to happen to us. And most of us would get in a fight. Maybe the ladies would even get in a cat fight if that happened to them. But Jesus is spit on. We know that he's scourged, he's flogged, he's beaten. Crown of thorns, those crown of thorns are beaten into his head with a reed that they're mocking with a scepter. He's crucified. And Isaiah says, it is true that many were shocked when they saw him. He was beaten so badly that he no longer looked like a man. That's our savior that day. He no longer looked like a man. He'd been beaten so badly. His physical abuse had been so bad. He also suffered, suffered some spiritual trauma. He'd been forsaken by God, forsaken by his Father. In some sense, Jesus was experiencing what all of us sinners deserve to experience. A separation from his Father, from his God. <clears throat> abandoned to despair. He didn't know what the guilt of sin felt like till right now. As he's on the cross bearing the sins of all of us from all of time until the end of time. He's on the cross bearing that sin. It's coming down on him. 
in, per, in giving him that spiritual trauma. But I think it's important that we recognize this word. Because it's very important in this story. He doesn't just say, God, God, why have you forsaken me? He says, my God. My God. He's not forsaking his father. He's not calling him into question. He's embracing him. He is embracing him and saying, why have you forsaken me? He's not blaming. He's not putting God off. Still even in the darkest hour, he knows he has a relationship. <clears throat> but there is this question, why? He says, why hast thou forsaken me? Now I'm confident Jesus knows the answer to that. He's been involved in this since the very beginning of time. But it's important for us to know why he's forsaken. He's feeling all of this at this particular point. The Bible tells us that Jesus became a curse for us. The Bible tells us he was made sin to him for us. Jesus took on our sin, was cursed for us and put on a tree. That's why he's feeling this distance from his father. So what's the result of, of, of all of that? Well, the result is he was wounded, we are healed. He was forsaken, we are forgiven. Abandoned, we are adopted. He was stricken, we are redeemed. He was afflicted, we are acquitted. Isaiah sums it up this way. But the Lord was pleased with his humble servant who suffered such pain. Even after giving himself as an offering for sin, he will see his descendants and enjoy a long life. He will succeed in doing what the Lord wanted. After his suffering, he will see the light and he will be satisfied with what he experienced. The Lord says, my servant who always does what is right will make his people right with me. He will take away their sins. For this reason, I will treat him as one of my great people. I will give him the rewards of one who wins the battle and he will share them with his powerful ones. I will do this because he gave his life for the people. He was considered a criminal, but the truth is he carried away the sins of many. Now he will stand before me and speak for those who have sinned. So when I think about lessons that, that we can learn, Jesus knew why. He knew that he was bearing the sins of the people. He knew that this was going to be an excruciating event. He knew he was going to go. He was going to suffer emotionally. He knew he was going to suffer spiritually. He knew he was going to suffer physically. But right as he's about to die, he's just like he remembers that scripture in Psalms, and he says, "Now I can relate to David. Now I can relate to Job. Now I can relate to the people because I'm feeling." all of this weight. So lesson number one, cling to God. Charles Spurgeon, many of you have heard of Charles. He was a preacher back in the late 1800s. 
He said this in 1872 in a text. In fact, I listened to part, maybe about, he's a long preacher. He preached over an hour on this. I listened to about 45 minutes of it. Um, he said in his darkest hour with darkness all around him and within him Jesus clung to, to God with both hands his right hand his left hand said my God his right hand said my God and he clung to his father with both hands he goes on to say it's pretty easy to be with God when he's smiling on you it's a whole lot harder when he's frowning on you it's easier to be with God when you've got the silver slippers and you're walking on the smooth road. It's a whole lot harder when your feet are blistered and you're walking on rocks. But he said in all of those situations, cling to your God. So number one, cling to God. Number two, we need to understand that it's okay if we're clinging to God to walk through these questions with him. That's what he's there for. Now, I'm not saying you blame him. You know, we've, already, we've already established that those aren't the right attitudes to have. But there are going to be times when things aren't going our way. And it's okay to say, God, I don't understand your plan right now. I need help. I need help understanding that plan. <clears throat> King David did and Job did Can't blame him. We got to cling to him. So I was—I uh, I found this online, and um, I thought it was interesting. When was the darkest hour in history? Was it when 200, me 200 million people were killed by Hitler and his folks in World War II? 137 million people killed by the Black Plagues. 100 million people in South Africa infected with AIDS by 2005. 20 to 30 million people killed in the United States, a flu epidemic after World War I. Six million Jews exterminated. Was it September the 11th when 3,000 people were killed in an hour? Was it the 3,800 people across the world that have died this year from coronavirus? Or was it the day the Son of God, an innocent man, was killed on the cross. I choose that one. I just thought it was interesting when I think about all the, you know, to help us put things in perspective. So number one, it's okay to, to ask God these questions as long as our attitude is one of clinging to Him as our Savior and our God. But it's also, number three, important that we realize that Despair is not the end. Despair is not the end. It certainly wasn't the end for Job because at the end of that book he penned, I know that my Redeemer lives. It wasn't the end for David because I, don't, I didn't even put this together, but in the 22nd Psalm, he's talked about all this this morning, right after that, the 23rd Psalm. A psalm most of us have memorized. A psalm that tells us about God and the closeness that David has. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy, thy uh, rod and thy staff comforts me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Despair is not the end. That's the beautiful thing about this story. You see, because after the crucifixion, there was an Easter morning. We used to sing a song here. It was in our other songbooks. It was number 160. It was called Arise, My Love. And it talks about three days Jesus had spent in the grave. And then the father looks down on his son and says, Arise, my love. Arise. The grave no longer has a hold on you. No more death sting. No more suffering. Arise. That's the beautiful part of Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani is that three days later, the miracle happens. And Jesus comes out of the grave. Hope is alive. <clears throat> Hopefully, it's been um, interesting. Hopefully, it's been inspiring. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Hopefully, it gives us some things to think about. The, the immense pressure and suffering that was on our Lord. All for us. All because of our sins. I heard somebody say one time, it wouldn't matter if everybody else was perfect. I put him on the tree because I've got sin. Every one of us are part of the crowd that crucified him. But thankfully, Easter morning happens. Thankfully, hope is alive. We have that hope because Jesus did take all of our sins to the cross. He did fulfill it. He went to the grave with our sins. So this morning, if we, can, if we can be of assistance to you, if you would like for us to pray for you, or if you would like to become a Christian, we offer those things for you as we stand and sing the song that has been selected.